0: Today's episode of the Dad Tired Podcast is brought to you by Crossway, specifically their new ESV Men's Study Bible. I got to be honest with you guys, I have a little bit of a Bible collection problem. I don't know if that can be a real thing, but my wife always tells me, Jared, you have plenty of Bibles you don't need to buy anymore. I just love a good Bible, man. And my favorite Bible has always been the ESV Study Bible. And now Crossway has put out the ESV Men's Study Bible. It was created specifically for men in all seasons of life who are serious about the Word of God, to help them go deeper into the word of God, pursue a deeper transformational understanding of the scriptures. It includes devotionals, articles from more than 100 acclaimed scholars and pastors. Again, all of this is written specifically for men. They've got 14 articles covering topics like identity, communion with God, leadership, and they have 365 daily devotionals that are going to be tied directly to key biblical text. They also have Bible study materials featuring more than 12,000 theologically rich study notes, comprehensive introductions of each Bible book, 120 character profiles, and 900 key biblical facts. Again, the ESV Bible is my favorite translation, which is why I'm so excited that they've put out the ESV Men's Study Bible. It's going to be really helpful for you as a man of God who wants to lead your family well and study the scriptures. You can pick up a copy of the ESV Men's Study Bible wherever books are sold, or you can visit crossway.org forward slash plus to find out how you can actually get 30% off again. Get it wherever books are sold or go to crossway.org forward slash plus to find out how you can get 30% off. Let's jump into today's episode. Hillary, super excited to be hanging out with you today. We're talking mama bear apologetics, which for you is a, a whole ministry that you have to equip people, moms specifically, to be good apologists, to raise kids who are good apologists. I'd love to hear like how that all got started. Like, what is your story? Why, how did this, this is a pretty unique niche. How did you fall into it?
1: Yes, it is. So there was a couple of things that happened kind of all in a row back in the, it was like 2014. I think first off, I was getting involved with an organization that was for women in apologetics. And I remember thinking like, why do we need a separate thing for women in apologetics? Like, mm, yeah. can't we all just do apologetics together? And I learned something that I did not realize because I I've never been one of those girls that was like a super girly girl or did a lot of the women's ministry stuff. But I learned that there was a whole demographic of women who would not read something unless it was by a woman for women. And to me, that was like, my brain just kind of exploded. I'm like, Oh, this is why we need this ministry. Hmm but my i went past that and i thought what's going on with the moms we really need to reach the moms cuz there was a an observation that i had i've been in, into apologetics for a long time you know since i was 12 and i noticed that whenever we had conferences come through the church and this was just any church any that i went to one like one specific church anytime we had a conference come through there was always childcare provided unless it was an apologetics conference. And then for some reason, none of the apologetics conferences had childcare. Mm. It, it just drove me nuts because it, it's kind of weird that it drove me nuts because I actually don't have kids, but it's one of those things where I was just seeing more and more that moms are the ones that the kids go to for all their questions first. Like, dad becomes more important, maybe in the late teens and for politics, but for younger Mm -hmm. kids, it doesn't matter what, (laughs) what the dad knows. Sometimes that kid wants mommy. And so moms were getting the spiritual questions first. I was like, we need to be equipping these moms. They they are the apologists that are in every household and along with the dad. So I think it was, it was more like, it wasn't like the mom was more important than the father, but to me, that was an unreached demographic because I saw The fathers and the men going to apologetics conferences and kind of getting all these tools and equipping for themselves, but maybe not understanding how to then repackage it into tiny person language, Mm. which the women a lot of times will do. In fact, I think it was Mary Jo Sharp that said, whenever she gets questions at the end of one of her talks, if she gets questions from men, they're usually asking their questions because it's their own question. If she gets a question from women, a lot more times than not, she's getting questions that they're asking on behalf of somebody else. Wow! And so it's just, it's just kind of the way people work or the way, you know, men and women are more geared. The guys are trying to figure it out for themselves. Women, they just may not have been involved. So another thing that happened was my husband and I were helping out with this small group or it was a Sunday school class at my parents' church. And there was the woman who stood up and kind of gave her testimony about She raised her sons in the church. They went to Awana. You know, one of them got rededicated when he went to college. And as soon as he went, he went off to his first job. Basically, his boss said, "Yes, Jesus is like Santa Claus for adults," and that was mm-hmm. it for him. All of a sudden, it's like there was this the paradigm shift somehow for him, wow. and he completely walked away from the faith. And so she was telling about what she was having to do. That every time he came home to visit, she would say, "What are your questions?" And so then you know he would tell her her, her big questions, and she would go and study. She would study philosophy. She'd study apologetics. She'd study history study or whatever she had to study mm. so that next time he came home, they could have this conversation. And she did this for years. And I thought that is an instinct to awaken in the women and the moms out there. It's apologetics may not be something that they would do for their own faith, but when they see their child's faith being threatened in some way, they will do whatever it takes in order to protect their child and in order to engage their child on that. And I thought That's a mama bear. I think that's what it is. That's a mama bear. We need something like mama bear apologetics. And so it was just kind of the the birthing from there. I thought the Lord was going to kind of tell me, oh, you know, who am I supposed to send this idea to? Who's the mom out there? Who's going to make this a really great ministry? And I was super surprised when he wanted me to do it (laughs) because I said, I don't think they'll listen to me. I don't have kids. And I felt the Lord say, no, contrary, you have something that moms don't have, which is time to research. And I wow. thought, ah, huh, very true. <laughs> so this is my form of motherhood. If the best mom I can be is helping to make other moms' jobs easier and to help equip the moms that are out there so that they can equip their kids, then that—that's the best of a mom as I can be.
0: That's incredible. I want to dive into all the apologetic side of things and why that's so important, and all that. But one thing that's really fascinating about that is how you saw yourself as part of a bigger family unit of Christ, like we're part of a family here. And here's my contribution to the family. Mm -hmm. And even when you thought, well, God, this doesn't really make sense. Like I'm not a mom. Why would I do a ministry for moms? You just, instead of thinking that you thought, no, this is my contribution. How can I help serve the bigger family? And I just, man, if more people approach the family of God like that, I think our churches would be more healthy, right? Like if they just saw, okay, God, wherever you want me to serve, it just doesn't have to be my, my little niche or demographic that I'm used to or my own tribe here, but like I'm looking at the church as a whole and what gifts have you given me to contribute to the church? That was, I guess that's more of an observation than a question, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, you can share any thoughts on that.
1: Well, it's interesting because that was actually the area that the enemy really raked me over the coals with for the first mm. several years that I believed the lie that every time I, you know, at the very beginning when, you know, not as many people knew who we were, every time I would get an interview request, I was like always scared to let mm. them know I don't have kids because I kept waiting and waiting and waiting for them to be like, oh, okay, no, we, we kind of want a real mom to do this interview. Mm. And so I was always, you know, welcome to pull out if they wanted me to pull out. But it's like the area that I have had people like yourself just really embrace what I've done was the area that I expected rejection. And it it had to get several years into the process of where the ministry was going really, really well for the Lord to just be like, get rid of that voice. That voice Mm. has been lying to you the whole time saying that that's the area that you're going to be rejected. That's exactly the area that I'm trying to use you. So like, I I finally had to let that one go. And every now and then I'll get a comment from some really insensitive person. It's like, why are you talking about this? But it's only been like once. And so, but yeah, I think that's interesting. Sometimes the areas that we think that we're going to get rejected in are actually the areas that the Lord wants to move through us in.
0: Well, I mean, isn't that the, I mean, kind of moving into a isn't that the, like the whole theme of scripture, (laughs) like God (laughs) using people that really felt unqualified to be used in whatever it's like, well, God, why are you calling me to this? Like, I'm not the person for this job. And it just makes sense because God gets all the glory. Like who Mm -hmm. else would get the glory there except God? Like, look, I'm using you and you don't even feel like you're qualified to do it. Only yeah. God can do things like that. And I, I guess I, I feel like it, it wouldn't be right for me to not pause for a second and to tell any listener who's listening, like God's probably calling. He's probably got something for you that you feel totally unqualified to do. And you probably convincing yourself or believing a lie of the enemy, like, ah, no, there's got to be somebody else better fit for this. And God keeps laying that thing on your heart over and over and over again, whatever it is, whether you like, I should be a foster parent, or I should help out at this ministry, or I should start a ministry. Or I should see myself as a missionary in my neighborhood. Like whatever the thing is that you're like, I'm, I'm too scared to do. I feel unqualified. People are going to be like, well, dude, why are you doing that? might be exactly the thing that God is calling you into um, yeah. for his glory. Okay. So let's get into, well, first, actually, I want to back up something else you said intrigued me. You said this start apologetics, Your interest in it started when you were 12. Yes. Yeah. That's so young for somebody to be interested in apologetics. How did that happen?
1: So this is another reason why I'm really passionate about getting apologetics into, to, to youth circles and especially through the parents, but really any means possible. My pastor, uh, he kind of had a had a, you know, Lee Strobel, C.S. Lewis kind of story where he set out one day. He he never went to seminary, but I still say some of the best teaching, Mm. if not the best teaching I've ever sat under was under him. Mm. But he decided one day, you know, long before he was a pastor, you know, this whole Christianity thing is dumb and I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And he set out to disprove it. And lo and behold, along the way, realized, wow, there's a lot of evidence for this. Hmm. And so I kind of had the benefit of he was naturally a skeptic. And so in all of his sermons, he always knew which questions he would have asked as a, yep. as a skeptic. And so he kind of packaged a lot of things in apologetic language, but there was three series that he did when I was 12 that I remember just blowing my mind. Hmm. And the first one was on liar, Lord, lunatic. You know the CS Lewis trilemma, which now, if we were going to do that series today, it would probably we would add legend to that one because that's mm. another one that's cropped up that people are trying to say. Uh, so, to, to liar, explain, Lord,
0: explain that for a minute. So, okay, so, well, let me give some background for, for somebody okay. who the the argument there is Jesus would either have to be a liar, he would have to be a lunatic, or he would have to be Lord. That's kind of the premises. Mm-hmm. You can't say Jesus was a good teacher. And, uh, but anyway, you know, he's a, he's a good guy. He's a good teacher, but I don't know if he's God. He he can't be both. He either, what he said was either completely crazy. He lied all the time because he claimed to be God. So he was a liar or he's a lunatic. The dude's a madman. He's like going around saying he's God and he should have, you know, he should have been crucified because that was, you know, he's crazy. Or if those things aren't true, then he was Lord. So that was the argument. But you just said that we would add a fourth one in 2022, Mm -hmm. which would be legend. What do you mean by that?
1: Even yesterday, so I was watching a movie with my mom. We were watching Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And at the end, they had this documentary and some of the special features talking about the legend of Robin Hood of like, where did it come from and tracing it back of, we see this name starting to appear here. It it appears to be an amalgamation of maybe a bunch of different people that were mentioned around this time is almost like a a title, you know, this this person's a Robin Hood and, you know, the legend of the person grew over and I kind of stopped it. And I said, mom, this is exactly what they're doing when like on the history channel and stuff, when they talk about Jesus is they Mm. say, well, you know, maybe he was this historical person, but all these, stories around him just kind of swelled up over time until he was walking on water and feeding 5,000 and people don't know how to do the research to go back and say, no, that's not how that happened. These stories about Jesus cropped up very, very quickly. Within the time of eyewitnesses to where there wasn't time for legend to grow. Anyone who knows how legends grow knows that there wasn't time if you look at the original writings from the New Testament era. And so, but uh, that uh, enough people, they hear something that sounds plausible. Oh yeah, it can happen to Robin Hood. So it can happen. With Jesus yeah. of Nazareth. And so uh, that would probably be a fourth one that we would have to contend with.
0: Yeah, Nowadays
1: that they just didn't, I guess, you know, 20, 30 years ago.
0: Yeah, that's good. Okay. So you, that was one of the messages he, he had mm-hmm. given that really shook you. What were the other two?
1: The other two were, the, I think the one that was the, the most impactful for me was the evidences for the resurrection where hmm. he took every alternate theory and spent a whole week wow. of a sermon, you know, that, that, the whole 45 minutes going into okay, what is the evidence for this alternate theory? They'll say like the swoon theory or the hallucination theory Mm. or the disciples stole the wrong body, uh, you know, or they went to the wrong tomb, all these different things. He went through each one of them and Mm. systematically dismantled them and showed, you know, it really takes more faith to believe one of these than it does to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And I remember like, I'd always believed Jesus rose from the dead because I was told to believe I was 12. You know, this is what you hear in church. It was the first time I realized I can like, study this stuff not from a just bible perspective but from a history perspective mm-hmm. and this is like not just true because we do this and it's our thing but it's like it's like re- for real it's true mm. and i think this idea of having objective truth where whether I feel something or not, this is actually true for me. Cause I'm kind of, I kind of compartmentalize people into we're all a blend of thinker, feeler, doer. One of them usually tends to be a little bit more dominant than the other. And Hmm. thank God that they are because we need the body of Christ and different skills. But thinkers definitely my top one that if it doesn't make sense here, I have a hard time with anything else. And so it gave me a way to worship the Lord with my mind. And so we had that one. And then we had the reliability of the New Testament documents to show how much evidence there was that these scriptures were reliably transmitted through time. When I saw that the scriptures were reliably transmitted through time, I can have faith that this is what was actually written. I can have faith that, you know what, it's going to take a miracle of some sort. I went back and I looked at my grad school paper on the Evidences for the resurrection. And the thing I kept coming back to is whether you're talking about a miraculous level of stupidity that they can't, you know, nobody was able to find the right tomb or the miraculous nature of Christ's resurrection, you're left with a miracle. So let's pick the miracle (laughs) that makes the most sense. Yeah, that's good. yeah. So I'll just say that my life has not been easy since being a Christian. I've had mainly my health. I've had a lot of health problems. Mm-hmm. I've had cancer. Mm-hmm. I had a life altering surgery this last year. My sister's passed from cancer. My mom yeah. had cancer. Jeez. She's still with us, but um, suffered from anxiety and depression, lots of different things. Mm-hmm. There was so many times that I could walk away from the faith, but because my faith was grounded in something that had nothing to do with my feelings, had nothing to do mm-hmm. with my circumstances, had nothing to do with how well this life here was going because my faith was grounded in something outside of that objectively true. I attribute that as the reason why I never walked away from the faith. And if Mm -hmm. we can give that to kids, like you can have all these great experiences in the world, but there's a lot of great experiences. What makes this experience objectively true and worth basically sacrificing nowadays, sacrificing my entire reputation. And sometimes at some points my livelihood yeah why should i sacrifice everything for this experience as opposed to another experience i couldn't justify it but i can justify that if i'm sacrificing something in my life for something that's objectively true
0: yep that's so good and there's going to be the reality is we have for those parents who are listening uh, you know i have four children one of them at least is going to be the morph the thinker. They're going to be bent. God's mm-hmm. going to wire them as a thinker. And so for me, you know, uh, God captured my heart at a real young age. And, it, and I'm like, I believe, I believe you to be true, God. I, you, I've experienced your goodness in my life, but that won't translate to all my kids that my story of just knowing God to be true is not necessarily going to translate to all my kids, yeah. especially for my, and I can already kind of see where some of them are bending. Um, mm-hmm. And for one of my particular, one of my children, I think that they're just going to need like some more now you gotta give me more than that, Dad. Like, give me some, give me some concrete facts here. Um, all
1: parents fear that kid. Yeah, They're like, yeah, no, no. Yeah,
0: just like, oh dude, don't ask these questions. I don't know. I've got to have
1: all the questions, <laughs> yeah, all the answers.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know, the other thing that popped in my mind as you were sharing about the pastor was if you're setting out to, and this this is probably more of me as like a feeler, but if you're setting out to Prove that God doesn't exist. I feel like God's already chasing your heart down. <laughs> like nobody, yeah. nobody's trying to prove God doesn't exist unless He's already stirring something in you, right? Like to, mm-hmm. you know that that's probably more of a feeling assessment than anything. Well, it's but... a good
1: assessment. See, <laughs> yeah. that's why we need each other. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay. Well, so when when we're thinking of our kids, we have a lot of parents who are listening right now who may be thinking like, okay, I've heard of apologetics, and it's like, isn't that just kind of like a segment of like one thing we can study, like you know, I studied the new Testament or I study, I do my Bible study. And then like you study apologetics, but like, why is this important for every parent? You talked about it a little bit, but you know, kind of help us break down the mold of just why this is like, it's not just a segment of Christians, but this is like crucial for all of us as believers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So like there's a one verse that it's not exactly talking about in this context, but it's talking about meat sacrifice to idols. And it's talking about uh, Christian freedom. And one of those big things is every man needs to be fully convinced in his own mind. And I think that the role of apologetics, sometimes people think, oh, well, you know, you're not going to go out there and convert all these skeptics and stuff. And you won't. I mean, most of the time you won't. But if faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, you know, uh, Hebrews 11, is it 11 or 12? If that's what faith is, then the more sure and the more certain we are actually increases our faith. And we should all want to have more faith. We should all want to be able to know that we can rely on the truth of scripture. But beyond that, I would say we have a lot of things that are going on. There's different vein. Well, let me stop there. There's different veins of apologetics. There's like what I was describing would be kind of more under the, evidential apologetics, you've got classical apologetics, which is where you're just looking at, does God exist? Does truth exist? And kind of building this case from the ground up. Because in our culture right now, if we have a culture who does not believe that truth exists, who does not believe that sin is real, it's just messiness and we're all just beautiful hot messes. If we don't have these concepts already in place, then the truth that Jesus, who was God's son, who came to earth to live, die, and rise again, to pay for your sins, to appease God's wrath, None of that makes sense. So this is really all a gospel issue. And what we're having to do is go back and find what has been broken along the lines that someone has rejected on their way to the gospel, that basically the gospel message won't make sense until then. So I'd say that's that's number one. If we care about the gospel, we care about apologetics because it's essentially a pre-apologetic for a world who thinks that they've already heard, who maybe has not heard the the true story, or they don't even have the foundational beliefs in place to accept the gospel. Not to say that God can't override that, but let's be practical. If someone doesn't believe in truth, they might say, yeah, sure. I'll become a Christian, not because they think it's true, but because they they like you and they want to accept what you're doing. That may not be a saving faith. And for the rest of their life, They may not actually be able to pursue a relationship with God and the God who is because they think they already have. I would say for it being an everyone thing that the stuff that we have going on right now in culture, we don't need to just know what the Bible teaches. It is a good idea to know why God designed us to be the way that we are. I would say that uh, cultural and moral apologetics are a really big one right now because I would say even, even 30 years ago, if you had asked someone if they, you know, do you think you're you're perfect? They're like, No, but the prevailing attitude nowadays is, is God made you exactly the way He wanted you. You're perfect the way you are. Anything you try to change, including your sin, is just moving you away from the perfection that God created you to be. We need to have answers for this because this is slaughtering our kids. Faith right now, they are being told. You know, in order to love means I need to celebrate everything in order to um, have justice. I need to do these big movements that don't account for individuals. It it, it lumps everybody into the same category and then moves there. Or in order to be tolerant, I can't speak up, up about anything because that would be judgmental. And basically they're just, they're having to muffle the Holy spirit more and more and more in their lives and turn off their critical reasoning and just kind of act on a mob mentality. And so being able to give them back the skills to think critically through things, to think with a a biblical worldview, because we like to think that, you know, if, oh, we get, if we mess up with our worldview, we'll, we'll still mostly be okay. No, that works its way through your mind, through your heart, through your actions, and eventually through your soul. And this is something that we're seeing just enticing kids away from the faith thinking that they're following a purer faith (laughs) than the one that they were given. So it's not like they even think they're walking away from the the faith. They think they're following a purer faith Mm. and being taken away from the saving faith. This is a huge, huge deal. And I think apologetics specifically, the stuff that we do at Mama Bear Apologetics, that is what we're trying to do is to get kids and parents to think through these issues so that we can remain faithful Mm. um, to scripture while still having a God- A biblical and a God-defined love, a God-defined compassion, a God-defined tolerance, God-defined unity. It's like even this word unity, I call this linguistic theft. We have all these linguistically thefted words where we've Mm -hmm. taken this this word that's a Christian virtue and society has transformed the the definition of it and then has thrown it back on our kids' face and said, well, you believe in this, aren't you supposed to be doing that? Well, it's because they've redefined the word and the kids are sitting there going, well, yeah, I I do want to... love like Jesus loved, I guess this is what I have to do. Yeah. So I would say in terms of apologetics from that cultural perspective, if we don't want to be enticed away from the true faith, then that's another reason why we need to be aware of this.
0: Yeah. Wow. That was so, so well said. I love that you said a beautiful, hot mess. That's kind of like, you know, we're just all beautiful, hot messes. And then it's such <laughs> a, I remember when I was growing up, I grew up in California, which was, you know, California is not like Thriving uh, metropolis for Christianity, right? Like it's always kind of been the tip of the spear, and it's uh, its pockets. I've lived in there. (laughs) Yeah, it's got its pockets. But I remember the first time I was in elementary school, and this girl in our class said she didn't believe there was a god, and I was like, "What?" You know, like he just we just all kind of assumed it was kind of Mm -hmm. cultural, right? Like we're all just kind of like that. You know, there's a god now, and. I was in elementary school like 10 years ago. So it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> no, that's a joke. I, I was, I was in, like,
1: like sitting there yeah, going, wait. Yeah, going yeah wait. A hold
0: it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it really wasn't that long ago. And now mm. you would, it would be probably the opposite in most places in the country um, yeah. where you, if you were to say, you know, uh, well, I, I'm a follower of Jesus. Most people are going to be like, oh, interesting, you, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're
1: one of those. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Exactly. But you said, I love that. You said, you know, beautiful, hot mess. Cause it's like, well, if our culture is just telling our kids, well, we're all kind of good. Like what dude, you're born? Perfect. Well, you're just be who you are, be who, you know, just you're born. Great. Just, you just got to stick with who you are. Be your
1: authentic self. If you can discover that authentic self, that is Fully, who God made you, and that is your highest goal, is to find that authentic self.
0: Right. Which then the gospel makes no sense. Why mm-hmm. would you need a savior for you know yeah. what like when why then Jesus saw, God just seems cruel. Why did he kill his son for our son? Like I'm not that bad of a person. You know, I just <laughs> got to find myself and you know my authentic self, as you said. So you're totally right. Like this is foundational stuff because there's going to be an onslaught. That just goes against everything that we believe and we're trying to teach our kids. And if we just think, well, we want them to be good, moral kids who, you know, love Jesus. Man, when you send those kids out into the world, if they don't have that kind of foundation and they can, they can critically think through those things, it's going to be an onslaught. It's going to be like the, the son that you described when you have one boss that says, do you believe in Santa Claus still basically, mm-hmm. and everything's going to be torn down. Um, yeah. What, as it, from your perspective, as you kind of look at it, you know, at your church or online, as you kind of look at young parents trying to disciple their kids and shepherd their kids, is there anything that you cringe at or you, it concerns you a little bit makes you wince like, oh, you probably like that. I would probably do that. I would say that differently. Or this is like a, it's a, you're changing words or you're, you're off here. <laughs>
1: Are you talking about like tactics that I'm seeing that are using to, or things that like I see parents doing that I'm like, maybe that's not a good idea yeah, or, or um, like, or like
0: resources. All of the, above. All you of know, the like, above. Yeah. Anything, anything that you're just like, from a, from an apologetic standpoint, as you're watching followers of Jesus who are young parents trying yeah. to raise kids and you're like, oh man, I probably wouldn't do that.
1: Probably one of the things that I don't want to say I get all cringy, just, you know, since I don't have kids, I think there's so many things my cousin always says, every parent has the right to screw up their child in their own special way. And we think (laughs) that's kind of this God given, right? It's like, everybody's going to have issues. It's just going to be a different issue. But, um, one of the things that I think would be wise to do, I'll say that I'll, I'll say things that I think are maybe more wise right now. Yeah is to, I remember even when I was a kid and it was, you know, kind of true when I was a kid, my mom would say, well, you catch more flies with honey. And it's this idea that if you're kind and if you're loving, and if you do all these things, they'll be that way back to you. And I don't think that's the case necessarily anymore. Yeah. Don't be a jerk. That's not an excuse to be a jerk. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, I think we do need to be preparing our kids a little bit more. I started praying this like a couple of years ago and I've actually changed my word. I have it even on my prayer board with the word marked out persecution preparation. And I Mm. marked out that word persecution because I don't think that we're there yet, but where we are is hostility press preparation that we have to expect that we're going to start having hostility for what we believe when I was a kid, you could be a Bible thumper. You could be a Jesus freak. You could be a goody goody, you know, things that all still kind of had negative connotations that made you uncool, but that is not what our kids are being called today. They are being called hateful, intolerant bigots who, because of their beliefs are causing people to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. I am not kidding when I'm telling you that your Christian kids are going to be had these lobbied against them. You are, if you believe in a biblical sexuality, then you are part of the problem. You're the reason why there's a 40% suicide rate among transgender and LGBT teens. And your beliefs have caused so much harm. Why do you keep perpetuating harm in the name of your God? And basically evil has become good. Good has become evil. It's all been redefined. And if our kids aren't expecting this, it is going to be a wake up I'm not even sure what it's going to be. It's, it's going to be a harsh reality that they're going to yeah. walk into. So learning how to maintain that, uh, allowing people to act how they're going to act in doing uh, like, as it talks about, in I think first Peter, as far as it depends on you live at peace with all men. Yeah. And so how do I conduct myself that is, as far as it depends on me, I am living at peace with people, but I am not taking responsibility mm. for when they choose to say, no, that's not good enough. Because I think we've had this idea that if we do it good enough, we will be accepted by the world. And while we still had these kind of vestiges of a Judeo-Christian ethic that permeated our culture, which really up until, you know, even when I was in my teens, we still kind of had. We don't have that anymore. Culture is not is not our friend anymore. Yeah, culture is not reinforcing any of our Judeo-Christian values. And so we can't rely on it. And so mm. we will not be friends with the world. And so we need to be expecting it. So that'd be one thing. The second thing I would say, and this is just because it's on my mind because I watched the podcast the other day, there's a curriculum that's out that I think every parent needs to look at their own curriculum in their Sunday schools to see what is actually being taught mm. that we have a real... Let let me say the word, and then I'm going to define it. Okay. We've got a lot of uh, secular humanism being Mm -hmm. trotted out like it's Christian. Mm -hmm. So it can go by a couple of different names, secular humanism, or you can call it the longer name, which is, uh, of course, I'm going to draw a blank right now, therapeutic theistic deism,
0: which... I've heard of
1: these two, these two things. So secular humanism is the idea of being a good person. So I'm just going to use this one example of a curriculum that's big right now. That's called orange, Mm. where they take words that are all good words, cooperation, you know, unity, you know, all these different things. And then they try to take scripture verses that might sort of kind of have something about that and tack it on there. So for example, the podcast that I saw on this, the word was, cooperation. And two of the examples that they gave for that word that month, one of them was the building of the tabernacle. And the second one was when Moses was having his arms held up over the battle. And they were saying, see how they held Moses' arms up and he won the battle because of cooperation. No, that's not what that story is about. That story is about God miraculously interceding for his people and wiping out enemies. So that the Israelites could move into the promised land. That's what that story is about. That's not about cooperation. So we have a lot of kids that are, you know, growing up to be really good humans, but they're not growing up to know what Christianity teaches. Yeah. And those are different. And um, then the the moralistic therapeutic deism, that would be this idea that God is here to kind of be your, your counselor. He's here to make you the best version of you. And he really just cares about you, you know, living your best life now and, and, you know, feel like you're flourishing and you're calling and not like anything of that, not not that any of that's bad, but I mean, we need to look at the first century martyrs. We need to look at the first century church and what they were going through. Most of the epistles talk about real persecution. We're not talking about just hostility. We're talking about real persecution. And if we have divorced ourselves so much from the experience of first century church, and we've called that doctrine, that's the problem. It's one thing to appreciate being in a culture where we're allowed to focus on maybe some of, you know, was it um, the the hierarchy of needs, you know, the self-actualization, you know, that's, that's a privilege to be able to focus on that. But that has nothing to do with the gospel, feeling like I'm walking in my calling isn't necessarily part of the gospel, being a faithful disciple of Jesus and obeying and finding what sin is in my life and killing it. And then walking according to his precepts in love for God and for others, that is Christianity right there. And if we confuse those two, we're going to have a whole bunch of people that are maybe good people, but they're not Christians. And Mm. they will, again, not go looking for Christ because they think they've already found him, but it's Mm. a false Christ. It's an idol, just like any of the other idols. It is not a saving faith.
0: Wow. I appreciate you saying those hard words to the (laughs) church and to to our listeners, because I think... We need to hear them. I, I want to encourage you as a listener, you might be hearing this like, oh man, I feel a little uncomfortable and I don't even know why I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> like I'm, tr- I'm trying to sort through all this and maybe like, what is my church? What is my, what is my Sunday school teaching? I, I want to encourage you as a listener. Here's just one really, really easy gauge to just kind of figure out like, is this the church? Is this a church that's preaching the gospel? You should leave on a Sunday morning on Sunday afternoon, wherever, whenever, Your awe of Christ should be magnified every time you walk out. Like, man, we serve a good God, and He's given some radical grace that I don't deserve. And that kind of amazing grace is compelling me to address the sin in my life, to repent, and to try to live a holy life that brings others to Him for His glory. That we should leave in awe of Christ every time. If we leave with messages like, man, we need to be more cooperative with each other, (laughs) you might, it's, it's, it's christianity with some just jesus principles mm-hmm. sprinkled in. yeah. and the reason why i think it's important what we're not trying to do is just say well i'm right my version of christianity is right and your version of christianity is wrong we just want to keep dividing that is not the point. and i think the point that and i don't want to speak i don't want to put words in your mouth hillary but you know i think one of the point it, what i imagine it being like is a like a navy seal instructor <laughs> Who is putting those young kids through some really are not always young kids, but putting those men through some really, really hard things. And if you look through the outside, you're like, man, why are you being so mean? Why are you, like, why are you making them do that? That's just mean. It's not nice. And they're doing it because they know you're about to be put into a situation that it's going to be life or death. Yep. And so what feels kind of mean or uncomfortable or hard right now is actually for your good. We got to say some hard things to the church sometimes. And it feels hard and it, and it, and you're like, well, but that feels kind of mean. Like, shouldn't we just learn cooperation too? We're saying it. Because yes, we should also <laughs> learn cooperation. <laughs> <Absolutely>. but-, <laughs> but you're about to be sent into a world that wants to destroy you and destroy your family. It is against the things that God is calling you to as a follower of him. And it's going to mean you're picking a narrow road that most people will choose to not want to go down. And so you just got to hear some hard things on a podcast because reality is when you turn it off, the world's going to bombard you and your family to try to take over. And yeah. so I say all that to as a listener take it and take the hard things. Pray on it. Lord, I don't want to just hear like nice fluffy Christian things. I want to I want to really understand the gospel to train up myself and my children to love you and to glorify you in a world that's really against all of that. So all that again to say thank you for sharing those hard words with me and with the, with our listeners. Tell us a little bit about how our listeners can get plugged in with what you have going, all the resources that you have.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that I I like to make sure that people know, the books are aimed towards women and towards moms because of the, what I told you at the beginning of the podcast that I discovered that there was a, a large demographic who wouldn't read something unless it was by women for women. But I can tell you, I have plenty of men who love these materials. If you can make it past a couple of mom jokes, basically, (laughs) but the information is good for everyone. We have different ministries, especially with the the new sexuality book that's come out that they make it required reading for anyone who's serving on their ministry for sexual brokenness. Mm. So I just want to encourage the guys, even my, my husband was like, we need to get like a a book cover that's got like camo so that, you know, guys don't feel like they're having to sit here and, you know, read this book with a cartoon bear on it. So it's like, I'm going to say you get punches in your man card, like props yeah. to you. If you'll, yeah. you'll read the book with uh, mama bear apologetics, but from the reactions I get from men and women, it's, it's just good for both. We have, so we have two different books. We have the first one, which is mama bear apologetics, empowering your kids to challenge cultural lies. Hmm. And we kind of go through the history of ideas of, How have we basically poisoned the soil in the first place against the gospel? And so how can we go in there and find the areas that we have maybe not taken such good care of the soil? Maybe that's through naturalism. Maybe that's through postmodernism. Big one right now is through emotionalism. If I feel it, Mm -hmm. it's true. Or even just with some of the Marxism stuff going through that and saying what is the good first off let's let's describe what it is and then let's talk about what's the good that they were trying to do we always want to say there was probably good intentions in there somewhere what is the good that we can glean from that well now let's look at you know some discerning things what are what are some of the lies that have snuck in there because usually the most potent lies are wrapped in partial truths. And mm. unless we recognize that partial truth, people will think that we're just not seeing it accurately and they'll just reject what we have to say. So we kind of have this method that we go through mm. a bunch of different topics there. And then the second book that just came out in October is Mama Bear Apologetics Guide to Sexuality. And that book is different in the sense that we, we do a very robust, it kind of teeters back and forth between... Academic information, but very, very lay accessible, fun, casual language, shall we say, that's an easy read of really going through the theology of, of, of sex. And then going into part two is what the heck are our kids being taught in school? Yeah. Because uh, a lot of parents have had a huge wake up call with that one, especially with COVID. And then the third section, maybe some of the things that people have talked about before with the pornography, the same sex attraction, the transgenderism. But mine takes it from a little bit more of a scientific perspective because mm. I, that's my background. I, I, I My master's in biology. So just mm. kind of looking at what are some of the topics? What's a different way that I haven't seen as many people talk about it and try to combine that? So it's a very good condensed volume, but I would recommend both of those resources. The first book has a study guide. The second book has a discipleship workbook, which is a study guide mm. plus Activities that you can do with your kids. Oh, cool. Um, that will be coming out in November. We have our blog, we're at mamabearapologetics.com, and that's spelled M-A-M-A. And our podcast that's on iTunes and like all the other places. I don't know where it is, but um, yeah, so lots of things to to connect with us and then the social medias, although I will never contact anybody. Or answer any of your questions on Twitter because I think it's a wasteland. I leave that to Amy. (laughs) I stay on Instagram. It seems happier. But uh so we have several of our ladies that you know will you know answer questions on Facebook. We have a Facebook page and uh Instagram account. And unfortunately we still have Twitter, but I let Amy take care of that. (laughs) That's awesome. And then just different conferences, just look on our website. Well, we we have churches that ask ask me to speak. And so we try to put that up uh when we know the details to just see if there's someone coming in your area. We've had A great response for churches coming together. I think one of the last conferences I did, we had 45 different churches represented at that conference. And so, you know, even if it's not at your church, just join some mama bears and come anyway. Yeah,
0: I love it. Well, you're doing a good work and I appreciate it. And I appreciate you taking the time to hang out with us. We'll link all of those resources in our show notes. Yeah, your website is full of resources too. I was on there earlier today. It's really, really helpful stuff. But thank you again. It was great meeting you. It was a fun conversation. I appreciate you challenging us as men. I just I walk away feeling refreshed and, and ready to keep going. Thank you. Yay.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Hey guys, hope that episode was helpful for you on your journey of becoming more like Jesus and leading your family well. As a reminder, the Dad Tire Podcast is supported by you, the listener. So even if you chip in five bucks to help us, it really does go a long way. We are a nonprofit. All your donations are tax deductible. You can give by going to dadtire.com forward slash give. Again, that's dadtired.com forward slash give. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.